I would go up to them. I'd be like, if you, ha- all right, give me three minutes and it will be the best three minutes you've ever spent listening to someone in your life. Give me three minutes and it'll be the best. I, I thought you were going somewhere with that. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll have to adjust that. It's a, it's oh a double my. pickup line. Double pickup. All right, welcome guys. Today is another episode of Evolution Podcast. And today I have a special guest. And the reason why I want to tell you, first of all, before I have this guy, he's a very, he's a well-accomplished entrepreneur. And here's the most interesting part about it. He's a young guy that just got out of college. And the reason why I want you guys to listen to him is I want you to listen to why he started his entrepreneur endeavors. So Matt, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, well, thank you so much man, for having me on today. Normally, uh, I'm the one asking the questions, so it's exciting to be on the other end of it today. Uh, my name is Matt Newsom. I'm a recent graduate from Hobart William Smith Colleges. Uh, I have a podcast called Entrepreneurial Endeavors, which we can get into how that came into fruition. Uh, and I am currently uh, onboarding to start a financial advisory position at Deloitte this come July. Well, congratulations, man, on graduation. So how was college, man? Was it uh, all beers, booze, and parties? or uh... You know, for some, I was, I was definitely uh, a workhorse during it, but it was the best four years of my, of my life, and I'm excited to see how they set me up for the future. Gotcha. So, okay. So I'm, I'm very curious here. So a lot of people go to college, right? And you know, when I was in college, I was not thinking about being an entrepreneur. When I was in college, I was thinking about just doing stupid stuff. And, um, so I'm, I'm curious what had you on that mindset of, you know what, I'm going to stay away from drugs. I'm going to stay away from party and some, uh, uh, fornication. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, I, I definitely, you know, I understand the kind of mentality of wanting to do those things and, and, you no, know, get me wrong. You have to work hard and play hard in order to, you know, have a fruitful life. But I've always had this entrepreneurial kick in me ever since I was a kid. Um, I used to sell tap water on my dead end cul-de-sac to uh, people who drove by for fifty cents, uh, and I always kind of loved the idea of the hustle. You know, I flipped sneakers when I was in middle school, and so when I got to college, uh, I knew about my specific institution having a lot of entrepreneurial opportunities. They even had an entrepreneurial minor, which I ended up picking up. Uh, And so that kind of put me on the path of being interested in it from a more professional sense. Uh, And that kind of led me to participating in what we have. It's called the pitch competition. I can get into that a little bit if you'd like. Uh, But that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's let's talk about it. Pitch competition. So so what, what, what was it about? Yeah, so it, it's something that is really big at our, at our school, and I know a lot of other institutions might have it as well. Uh, it's essentially a shark, uh, shark Tank competition, right? So okay. uh, students will come up with their business idea uh, and either do it in a teams or do it individually, uh, and they go through uh, basically a weeding out process. So you'll have you know 30 to 40 ideas every single year, uh, and you create a business proposition uh, you actually, you know, manifest the project as much as you possibly can to hopefully get to the end result, which would be the last four contestants that present it in front of an investor panel. So, so are we talking about real money here when you actually uh, pitch? Is it like real investments? So there's actual real investors are actually throwing cash into ideas. Yeah, yeah. So the grand prize is $10,000, um, which is really amazing. And then a lot of times uh, some of the investors that watch the competition uh, or our alumni of the university that like the idea will also uh, throw in other venture, uh, you know, funds as well. Gotcha. So did you win the ten grand? 
Yeah. So uh, it was soft, my sophomore year. So COVID was in its fullest swing. Um, I knew I wanted to participate in it. I had a professor who uh, I was really close with that said, you know, let's make it a goal by the end of senior year that you win the thing. And so unfortunately, I had too much time on my hands as a, as a sophomore in COVID. Uh, and so I, I ended up just putting all my effort and energy into creating this sustainable design company. Uh, it's called Symbio. It reimagined and redesigned the waste disposal process for elementary schools by designing a lunch tray and waste bin that correlates in order to increase composting costs and reduce landfill fees in order to create a more sustainable and economic school system. Okay, gotcha. gotcha. So talk to me about the podcast. How many monthly listeners do you have? And what's the, you know, what's the goal? What are you trying to come? Because obviously you had 10 grand, you get to put a 10 grand into the product, but you to put a 10 grand into the podcast. So why the podcast? Yeah. So, I mean, I've always had a, a passion for not only speaking, but from learning from others. And the, the idea of this podcast was to initially take uh, notable alumni from our institution and have them share their stories, whether it be through an entrepreneurial lens or the lens of a liberal arts education, which is to say anyone can go through a liberal arts cycle and major in any what, uh, subject that they want, but end up creating a business or an idea that uh, is unique to their own. So uh, I initially had the, the podcast created uh, to interview these entrepreneurs. And our first few episodes were these small business concepts. They're actually, some of them were past winners of the pitch competition who had made their products reality. And since then, it's kind of progressed into uh, just interviewing very notable people who have been through HWS, who have been through the liberal arts cycle and how they've taken their teachings and what advice they give to current college students. Gotcha. Right, so I'm, I'm just curious, how are you finding your guests? Yeah. So for there's, we have a big transitionary period, which we can get into in a little bit. But initially, we had the advancement office, communications office, and then good old fashioned search and discovery through sites like LinkedIn uh, or just uh, you know social media to find individuals who had come from our school and would be willing to talk. And so I give a lot of credit to the advancement office and the alumni relations for not only seeing the uh, the the promise in the podcast itself, but then also trusting in me that I could have a, a fruitful conversation with these high notable alumni. Uh, and so that was kind of the feeder that got us our guests on the episode. Got you. Okay. So now I'm going to throw you on the spot here since you're doing a lot of interviews. So let's say I'm coming in there and I have a, you know, let's say put me on a, on a, uh, let's, let's kind of switch roles here. I am a, a software CEO. I'm coming into your podcast. You have me as a guest, reach out to me on LinkedIn. What are we going to talk about? Yeah. So, I mean, if you're software, I mean, here's the thing. I think a lot of times people specify what their episode is going to be strictly on who the individual is. And so, yeah, I would ask you questions about software, maybe about, you know, the, the promisings and happenings of whether it be like AI and ChatGBT or Silicon Valley as a whole. But I think it's also more important to learn about why you got into software in the first place. What about it intrigues you? And what a piece of advice would you give someone looking to get into the computer science or, or tech business fields? I think that's just as important as it is to have that conversation than a technical conversation about the specifics of software. I also think it opens it up to more listeners so that they, even if they're not interested in specifically software, they can learn advice from someone who is a CEO, who is a leader and who has a company. All right. Don't hate me. Don't hate me. Okay. But this, obviously, you know, we have to hear from our sponsors. So today's video is sponsored by Ryzen Results. So Ryzen Results provides virtual assistance services to small business owners, independent sales reps, independent sales agents. Now, as you can see in the, in the discussion here that I had with Matt, 
if you're a business owner, it's very important. I'm going to say this is very important that you have somebody who is manning the phones, who's cold calling, who's helping you get more clients, you know, managing your social media or, you know, helping you generate leads or generate interest from the existing leads that you currently have. So if you're a business owner and you're looking for a way to, you know, 10x your business by actually growing by leveraging staff for an affordable cost, then go ahead and click the link in the description or go to risingresults.com to claim your free trial of your rising results virtual assistant. They've got a seven day free trial of a virtual assistant. So go ahead and click the link in the description and let's go ahead and go back to the podcast. Okay. So now, now I'm very intrigued here because obviously you've interviewed, interviewed a lot of entrepreneurs and, and athletes from, you know, what I saw. What are the common traits that you'd say determines have differentiated, you know, the, the ultra successful, the successful and the almost successful entrepreneurs? Yeah. I think that's a great question uh, because I, I don't think necessarily success is the leading factor in terms of how my interviews have gone with particular people, but rather their personality and their internal characteristics. I'll give you a good example of this because we interviewed a, a, an alumni who was he's pretty young. I think he's just turned 30 uh, and he has a company called Hempitecture. And what it is, is they created a insulation and concrete substitute out of hemp that allows them to build construction, build insulation within houses. And it's not a massive company. It is rapidly growing. Uh, but the way that this individual was able to show his passion for not only sustainable corporate structures, but also his product specifically gave me a lot of like, man, this guy can be successful. This guy has what it takes. Conversely, I interviewed someone, and I won't say the specific institution, but a, a very, very large investment banking institution. And he was the, the head of it and very, very well known. And his interview with me was, to be frank, very boring. Uh, he and very corporate, very, you know, vanilla and didn't take any risks and didn't uh, add anything that kind of was surprising. And so I think maybe for that specific field, that's the type of attitude you need to have. Uh, but I find that the most successful or the individuals that I give myself the most faith in that it's going to be a good, uh, you know, listen to episode are the ones who are not only passionate about what they do, but then also are just dynamic storytellers. Got you. Okay. So there's got to be that attractive persona per se. Like you can't be that boring. You know, I would say it like you have to be entertaining in everything that you do because, you know, like why should somebody listen to you for 5, 10, 15 minutes? Like, for instance, I just had a podcast yesterday with a very well-accomplished franchise owner. And um, it, it was it was very entertaining because her podcast was, I mean, dude, we were talking, we were saying words like shit. We were saying all sorts of stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, perfect. This is this is what I want to <laughs> talk about, you know? And I'm not saying by far like the, the price guests I've had, but I've, I've had guests where it just gets super technical. And you're like, dude, ah. It's too technical. And then you kind of just get into that perspective where now, like, for instance, if we talk a lot about software, now we just reduced our audience from like 80, 90 percent to about five to 10 percent of people that actually know about software and code. The rest of people get up like, dude, this is not for me. I don't want to talk about this. And then, boom, this, you know, uh, I think that kind of. But, you know, what's interesting is and then let me know if you, if you agree with this. There's a lot of a lot of businesses that started 10, 15 years ago before podcasting became a thing aren't used to being relatable or being like personable, mm -hmm. right? Especially the founders, right? Cause they just, like you said, the corporate guy is like, Hey, I deal a lot of guys with suits. So this podcasting thing to me is kind of weird. Cause now I got to sound natural, you know, and, right. and tell me how much do you think people are attracted to that natural conversation from the CEO as opposed to that very robotic suit guy? 
Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll think about it. And especially, I love listening to podcasts as a whole. I mean, the goal for anyone trying to interview someone else, you can look at some of the greats like Howard Stern, or you can look at some of the most popular podcasts on Spotify or whatnot. These individuals make the conversation very conversational, uh, something that you almost make the other individual forget they have a microphone in front of them. Uh, and by doing that, the listener then feels like they're a part of the conversation when they're listening to it. They feel like they can, uh, that they're, uh, you know, in the room with them while the conversation's happening. And that gives it that kind of, you know, almost uh, fireside chat that uh, allows the individual not only to stay entertained, but feel like they're connected to the speakers in some sort of way. Got you. Okay, so I have a, this, is a, this is a very interesting question. So do you ever talk about controversial issues? Yeah, so it, it's interesting, right? I actually, I had the CEO of Chegg right? Okay. Uh, which is uh, a converse, you know, Chegg, they, they do the textbooks and mm -hmm. uh, they are, their CEO is a, is a HWS alumni or libraries named after him, for example. The, oh. the day I was supposed to interview him was the day that their stock dropped. I think it was like 40 or 60% uh, due to reports coming out that students weren't using their software. Now that COVID was coming out of, we we're coming out of COVID. And I remember his, his, his assistant sent me an email like, now's not a good time, like, whatever. Um, and when I eventually got the opportunity to interview him again, uh, I was getting the school who, you know, was the one backing this podcast being like, don't ask him it, don't ask him it. And uh, I had some other people that were like, you know, probably stay away from that question because it's still fresh and soft. But I ended up asking him questions about his leadership style and questions about his crisis control management skills. When you have something such as this, I didn't necessarily ask him, you know, why was it that the stock dropped in the first place? What is your company's performance looking like right now? Kind of putting the pressure on him from that side, but rather like, you know, obviously we all see this type of thing happening. You're the CEO. You're the guy who's supposed to guide the ship. What are you doing to make sure that not only your investors, but uh, your employees feel confident in you as an individual? And what do you say? Uh, you know what? You kind of gave me a corporate answer, but. He he was he was just kind of uh, pretty confident in saying, you know, hey, listen, like at the end of the day, there's ups and downs, there's ebbs and flows of any company. We're very uh, confident that uh, our new innovations or the new products we're releasing will take us back up. And uh, the reason that it dropped in the first place was because he himself made a sound bit to an investor that told them, yeah, I expect our stocks to drop uh, or expect a decrease, which made all investors pull out. And he was, he kind of made a joke. He's like, yeah, so I'm going to keep my mouth shut in the future. So he was pretty lighthearted about it. Um, and he, he, you know, they actually have increased since then. Uh, but to go back to your initial question of putting those fiery questions under people, I think you definitely need to, to some extent, but not to the point where you then lose them for the rest of the, the conversation because they're afraid about what might come out of your mouth. Yeah, I know. I know. Does that, does that, especially when you have investors, like in my company, we don't, we don't, I don't like taking people's money uh, for the perspective of every dollar they invest in you um means they have a dollar worth of extra control and, and i mean which in a way it's kind of good but in a way it's also like you know let's say you believe the, sc the sky is blue and they believe the sky is red and if you go against that well they got the money right and in a way which is mm -hmm. kind of funny and let me know if this is if you also think the same as well most entrepreneurs get into business for the sake of you know providing value and hoping that they would get into freedom get freedom but what ends up happening is they end up uh, having golden handcuffs, right? Because even if you sell yeah. your company, right? Let's say you sold your company for 20, 30 million. 
they're still going to keep you as a founder for at least five to six years for the transition process. All right. So now you work for the new owners. Right. What you think? And, and so for me, I think that comes back to your initial mission statement, mission values of creating the company in the first place. Um, whereas if it's something that you've created from the get-go that you think the mission, whether it be to reduce landfill waste or to increase, you know, equity within, you know, educational systems, I feel like that in that event, you will stay with that, that, uh, company, regardless of what the, the, the value in terms of monetary is coming to you. Um, and so, yes, it can be hard to break out sometimes. And it's not even just for entrepreneurs. I think maybe even I'd argue that that's less of a case, that golden handcuff scenario with entrepreneurs, because they're more tied to their idea and making sure no one else changes their idea than they are about the the money that is attracting them in the first place. Because let's be honest, not a lot of our, us entrepreneurs are the ones uh, in a position where we have golden handcuffs. That's very rare. I think, honestly, you know, speaking for me personally, going into corporate finance in the next few years, that's very golden handcuff scenario where you got to look out and be careful um, that you are continuing to be happy despite what kind of money people are throwing your way. So, okay. So I have, I have two follow-up questions here and then we're going to talk about the corporate finance, but in every business, especially from interviewing business owners, what would you say is the most important skill for an entrepreneur or an, an important trait that an entrepreneur mm -hmm. needs to have? Yeah. And, and this is, I believe this so, so heavily, uh, customer discovery. Okay. There's a, there's a theory called getting out of the house or getting out of the building, uh, which is essentially before you even start to ask for money, develop an MVP before your product is even tangible in any form, you need to talk to as many prospective customers as you can to get their thoughts and their ideas of what their pains are, what their gains are, what about your product is going to solve their problem, right? Understand the perspective of the customer down to a T and every demographic that you might be selling to because that type of feedback is the most important because guess who you're selling your product to at the end of the day is those people. So my advice is always to make sure you go out there and don't just talk to your mom and your dad or, you know, your best friends, you know, you could do it the, the old fashioned way and go out to the streets and just ask people questions. You can make a Google form and try to send it to as many people as you can. Uh, but getting that customer discovery and customer feedback early will help you, uh, you know, avoid mistakes in the future. Okay. I'm going to push back here. Okay. And uh, mm -hmm. just feel free to, you know, kind of, let's kind of, kind of go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to backtrack to Henry Ford, right? When he started the book, mm -hmm. the first automobile, right? When they asked him and he said, if I asked people what they wanted, they would have said they wanted a faster horse. Right. So if yep. Henry Ford had gone and done the research as far as like finding out what the market wants, they would have told him a faster horse. But then he, in a way, created a completely different product that no one, no one was thinking about. Look at the same thing with Apple as well. Right. With uh, Steve Jobs. And um, I think it was Wozniak. Steve Wozniak. Jobs and Wozniak. Right. When they the first iPhone, right? No one was thinking about it. People wanted it. I mean, yeah, it was good. But then again, the first iPhone, no one was thinking about it. But then they created a new product. Well, I wouldn't say it was necessarily new, but a new product to the, a market that people wouldn't necessarily expect. Right? So what would you say if I was in that camp? Like, hey, man, I'm, I want to create something that people aren't necessarily thinking of. Yeah. I mean, so it comes down to two responses. One is 
as an entrepreneur, you got to have a big pair of balls, right? You got to be able uh-huh. to kind of take that risk a little bit. Um, and two, you can, from those customer discoveries and going back to, you know, you want a faster horse. If Henry is asking people, knowing that he's kind of got this alternative to what people want, which is a faster horse, because it's, you know, it's a car engine, whatever it may be, the essence of what they need, their gains, their wants, their pain points are still there. Hey, I can't get to work fast enough. Um, you know, uh, I can't travel as far. Henry's thinking to himself, okay, well, great. I just need my invention to be able to solve those es- essential pain points. And uh, that's where my product comes into play. And going back to that, you got to have confidence in your idea to some extent, but also be open to having flexibility, changing certain things, uh, and not be completely strict to your uh, initial idea. Because, you know, as much as you love your idea, there will be things you need to tweak. Okay, so let's talk about a little bit on Tweakon. Let's say, all right, I get my, I, I ask my target audience, my target audience, and they tell me, hey, I want a, uh, a water bottle that I don't have to open the lid, and the water automatically just comes out just by me snapping a finger, right? Uh, uh, think about it like an Alexa, open the water, right? Yeah. And um, <laughs> which is which is kind of hilarious. But let's say I come up with that product. <laughs> In the first year, it's a flop. Second year, it's a flop. Right, third year it's a flop. Fourth year is a flop. What would you say to that entrepreneur now, as far as the tweaks? Is that yeah. something that a well, product that? Yeah. Obviously, that's not good, right? We want and and my my question would would be in terms of what have you done since year one to try to remedy this the previous years of flopping, right? If it's four years in a row and I haven't seen any adjustments to whether it be the marketing, the products, you know, design. Uh, the way the individuals you're trying to sell it and market it to, boom, you have easy solutions there. If you're always dynamically changing it and you've tried your best in so many different avenues to fix it and it just doesn't seem to be working, once again, go back to that customer discovery. Show them the product that you've manifested. Ask them, you know, how much would you pay for this? Or do you see yourself needing something? Like, do you find yourself not wanting to use your hands and drink water all the time? You know, Find out the details as to what your product is not achieving in order to put then more effort and attention onto those aspects of the product in order to try to solve the customer's pain, customer's pain points. But if you're not iterating, if you're not changing every single time that you, you find yourself you know, in the red or not working out, then it, you know, it goes on you, right? You need to continue to adapt and overcome to these types of challenges. Okay, okay, which is, okay, I, I, like, I like where you're going at. Okay, so now... This is this is a very this is not even more of a uh, entrepreneur question. This is more of a question of a cultural question, right? And a generational question. Let's say I'm a 45 year old man coming out with a product. I'm not 45, but let's say I'm 45 coming out, and I was going to market to the Gen Z market, right? What would you say is the is the peak interest as far as what are like? Because, you know, there's like what millennials are interested in or Gen Z mar- the Gen Z market. What are they necessarily interested in? Is everyone just trying to like interested in like the TikTok fame, YouTube fame and like, you know, how would you market a product? I'm, yeah, to, to that to that specific demographic. I mean, I think the not I would some people call, might call it a cop out answer. And I always a little wary about when people use this as kind of an overcompensating statement of like, you know, social media marketing or social media as an avenue towards which you can connect to those types of generations. And I think it's a dangerous statement to say because there's a lot more that goes into than just being like, okay, I'm going to make a little Instagram 
uh, and pay, you know, a, a business account fee in order to make sure people know about it. Uh, so, there, you know, social media marketing has turned into such a more serious endeavor uh, than just, you know, creating a, an influencer account. But to say that that's not an effective way to reach those audiences would be a lie because of the fact that that is where people spend most of their time looking, right? You know, nobody yeah. reads the paper anymore nowadays. And so find where the eyeballs are going and use that to your advantage. Now, the good news is, is that within these types of social media sites or within these types of communities, there's so many different niche interests. You see the way that algorithms are able to perfect what you're interested in, what you care about so well, uh, you can play into that in the way that you market your product, whether it be finding your specific age group, your specific demographic, or whatever it may be. Uh, in that way, you find the most likely early adopters to your product by using these social media avenues. Okay, so what you're saying is if I'm, a, if I'm starting a company right now, I have a business and I want to market on TikTok, I need to learn the new TikTok yeah. dance and uh, go ahead and do that TikTok. <laughs> go do the Literally, new TikTok Literally, I mean, it, it sounds dumb, right? But Ooh. like at the end of the day, like if you're dancing a dance that was, that was hot six months ago, I don't give a shit. Like I'm not going to look at it. I yeah. want, I want to, I'm more likely to find it on my feed if it's with the times and it's current, which, you know, going back to your initial statement, if I'm a 45-year-old uh, you know, person trying to market to Gen Z's, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to hire a fucking 17 year old because that's yeah. the person that's going to actually understand what I'm trying to sell to. Um, and, and that goes back to just building the correct team, you know, uh, and having a dynamic structure of different people who have different, you know, strengths in different areas of your company. Gotcha, man. I love that answer there. That was it. Just hire somebody who is in the market to go ahead and yeah. do that brainstorm for you. All right. So let's talk about this. So obviously, you know, entrepreneurship and corporate is not something people mix in the same lingo, right? So what's got you looking at going into corporate finance? Yeah, this is an awesome story. Um, because I, I obviously have a passion for entrepreneurship, but more specifically, uh, sustainability and corporate sustainability. Um, and I'm going down, a, a, I work for Deloitte, right? Which is, you know, big four firm, uh, doing financial advisory. But last summer, my summer internship, which in my opinion is a very crucial internship within your career per, you know, track is your junior to senior year college internship. I had an offer to work at a real estate firm in Boston, selling real estate, doing, you know, uh, basically, you know, sales job. Right. And I had another offer to go out to Bozeman, Montana and to work for a 30 person company selling fly fishing trips all over the world. So it was like a travel agency, but for specifically fly fishing. And I can vividly remember where, you know, I made the phone call to my mom being like, hey, I'm, and I got paid nothing to be out in, in Bozeman. It's like, hey, I'm going to do the, the Bozeman gig. And, you know, she, I love my mom. So she was, you know, supportive, but I definitely had, you know, she was definitely like, what the hell? Like, how are you going to transition from that to what I'm doing right now? And I think that what corporate, does for someone of my age group and maybe even someone who has career goals that are maybe outside of the corporate cycle, right? I eventually do want to go back into the world of entrepreneurship, specifically within sustainable corporate sustainable structures. I was able to, to tell my employers uh, at Deloitte and through that rigorous interview process that, listen, I might not have interned with you guys or the real estate firm or some IB thing when I was in college. But I did in, uh, intern with a small company that allowed me to do a little bit of marketing, do a little bit of accounting, do some sales, 
all of these different aspects of what a large corporation does, I was able to do in one summer uh, with a lot of proficiency. And so to articulate that to my future employer who wants somebody who can be dynamic, who can communicate ideas effectively, even if it is within a 100, 200,000 person company, I think that that was a really crucial step in allowing me to be hired. And now, being that I am in uh, this corporate structure, I am very excited to be in the type of system that is corporate training. And I know a lot of people are a little bit hesitant when they say that because they're like, getting into corporate, it's so regimented, it's so, you know, this, this, and that. You always got to please the big men. Me right now in my mentality, and maybe Emmanuel can call me in like two months and I might be saying the exact opposite, <laughs> but for right now, my mentality of having something that's super structured and rigid to teach me the fundamental skills that I do not yet have, I think is going to serve me so, so well for when I eventually want to transition back into the world of, you know, whether it be the outdoors industry or entrepreneurship or both, because of the fact that I view it as another year or two years of school, right? There is nothing mm -hmm. more that gives you, uh, you know, real life work experience. That is really, truly what you go to college for is to be able to have work life experience. You could go get your MBA and you could go study for another five years, but this is all building up so that once you get to the job, you're able to perform and get real world experience. So that's my mentality as to why I chose the position. And that's why I'm still to this day very excited. So what, do you, what, what kind of skills do you think you're going to get from the corporate world? Yeah. So I think there's lots of tangible hard skills that I obviously will be working on. I make expensive PowerPoints and Excel sheets, and uh, that, that's cool and that's fun. I can put that in the bottom of my resume. But what I think is more important is being in a corporate environment as a whole and learning about how a corporate structure works, right? This could be from anything like, you know, how do you handle HR relations? How do you go to client meetings and present ideas effectively? How do you deal with clients that are pissed at you, right? How do you deal with getting an email on a Friday night at 8, 8 p.m. right before you're about to go out? You know, these types of situations that will eventually arise, um, how, to, how, to draw, how to dress for like a cocktail party? How do you network effectively uh, on those happy hours at the end of work? These are all things that may not necessarily seem like learning experiences in the moment, but will give me the tools and the mechanisms uh, of, of how to interact within a business structure that I can then come back and put into whatever I do in the future. So out of curiosity, how do you dress for a cocktail party? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Uh, I mean, it, 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 everything depends, right? But I mean... You know, I'd say I'd put on a nice pair of slacks or if you want to do a little bit more casual, I'm a big fan of the, the Lululemon Commission or ABC pants. That's very popular among the youth these days. A little button up. And if you want to get spicy, just a, a sports coat. You can take it off when you enter in if you see no one else is wearing it. No tie. That's the other thing, though. It's, ties are on their way out for sure within corporate America. Ties are on your way. Man, I'm a tie guy. So I got to what? Bow ties? Yeah, if you could rock it, I mean, you know, if you could rock it, it looks good and clean. Obviously, do it. Me, I, I'm I, I rock it without the tie. I don't have enough chest hair though to to button down. So maybe if I get some chest hair, <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Hey, so if you've got some, uh, uh, so if you to to determine this is the determining factor if you're going to put a tie on a cocktail party is if you have chest hair, okay? Yep. Unbutton yep. it. If you don't have chest hair, then cover that shit up. 
Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. So you got, right. it's a dominance thing. You know, if you've been this big burly, then you, you got to have that kind of dominance and confidence <laughs> over everyone there. So, so you just said that, which is, which kind of like segues into this question I want to ask here is body language. All right. All right. So let's say three guys come into, or three gal, guys and girls come into a, uh, a party or a networking event. Let's, let's reference a networking event. One of them's a little timid, doesn't want to associate themselves. The other one is kind of outgoing. And then, you, you know, you have the, the, the different um, personalities, right? How much of a factor do you think body language plays into networking? Massive, massive, massive. And I, you know, it's a little bit of a cop-out answer, but it's not necessarily about being, you don't want to be timid. You also don't want to be super confident, right? You don't want to be a, like you want to you want to be approachable. I think is the best word to describe it. You want to have body language that is not tense or kind of like you know you're kind of worried about coming up to them, but you also want someone so boisterous and out there that you're kind of like whoa, thrown off. You the best way to do it is to be approachable, and the best way to be approachable is to not think about it, right? I think for the most part, on a day to day basis, all of us when we're hanging out with our family and friends. That type of body language is completely what you want to have in the networking event. Obviously, though, networking events are high stress. You know, you're thinking about it so much because, you know, that's what you're there to do. Uh, but, you know, in terms of what I like to do, especially if it's a person to person kind of networking event, start off by having a few small conversations with people you might have already previously known or people that you are comfortable, you know, around and kind of warm yourself up in a social manner so that you can eventually go out there and really, you know, get into some deeper and more productive conversations. So, okay, now, now I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to advocate for like, let's say I'm an introvert, right? And I don't like talking to people, but I have to talk to people. What, how would you, what advice would you give to that person? Because obviously, you know, it's all mental. What advice would you give to an introvert that's in a cocktail party or in a networking event on how to go ahead and, you know, get the name out there? Yeah. I mean, I think there's there's two avenues to it. One's the buddy system, and this is great. You know, if you're able to go in with someone else that can then kind of, you know, tag team it for you and maybe walk up to the an individual and be like, hey, have you met my friend so-and-so uh, and kind of help kick it off for you, right? And maybe give you the first two softball answers so the conversation starts rolling and then you can kind of get in from there. But let's say you don't have a friend in that instance. Uh, you don't have that support structure. I mean, as me, as someone who is a big, like I list and I journal things and I love to have, you know, sticky notes all around, I would create maybe a one or three little prompt statements that I would use to just kind of kick it off, right? Where it would be, you know, uh, event specific, right? If you're at an event for, you know, the financial advisory onboarding day one and you go up to somebody and you're just like, oh, you know, how, how is, you could be as simple as how is day one or what did you think of this, you know, activity we did? Uh, or, you know, oh, you know, even more personal, where are, you, where are you living in the city? How have you been adjusting? These like one-off little prompters that you can do to start yourself uh, really help open the conversation up and give you something that you know walking into that uh, conversation that you can say so you're not second-guessing yourself when you get there. Okay, that's that's interesting. Okay, a little bit of preparation then. Okay, so now I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask this question here. Just as, uh, are entrepreneurs born or are they made? Ah, love this one. Love this one. Um, you know, I had someone who actually was the, the, the funder of the $10,000 that, uh, for the pitch competition, his name's Todd Feldman. Great guy. He has this one statement he always says, which is that he firmly believes every single person in this world has at least one great idea. 
And I, I find that to be a very true statement. Now, whether or not people act upon it or give it the time of day to really think about it, that's one thing. But I firmly believe that every single person has that entrepreneurial spirit somewhere within them. And it's all about whether or not they pursue it. Okay. So it's all about the idea and pursuing it. Okay. So now let's say I'm watching this right now and I'm going, you know, I have an idea and I want to start this, but I, I'm afraid of my friends and family judging me, you know, because mm. there's always that, there's always that mindset where you're like, if you take action, you're going to get pushback from your friends and family. Cause they're going to be like, well, right. it's not you. Right? right. It's like, it's like, I'm pretty sure when you started a podcast, when you went fly fishing, your mom's like, what are you doing? Yeah, totally. Right. Totally. So yeah, if you can expand a little bit more. Yeah, of course. I mean, and, and there's a, there's a definitely, I mean, that is why entrepreneurship is risk, right? And that in a lot of ways is for those really big risk taker entrepreneurs. They love that aspect of it, but that's not everybody, right? Someone might just want to create that, that company, that idea, but not having the support of those close to them is definitely dissuading. So to me, it's about almost creating an, an echo chamber for yourself, right? Finding the type of people that are already involved in the type of idea that you're doing, or let's say you want to start a seashell jewelry company, right? but you're from the Midwest and your family's like, I have no idea what you're talking about, right? Your first steps wouldn't necessarily be to convince, you know, mom and dad that we should start collecting seashells in the Midwest, but rather to be, hey, I'm going to use the globalized world that we have to start learning about, okay, so what did people in Florida do at their seashell stores? Or, hey, I got connected with this small business owner who makes, you know, uh, you know, rock jewelry instead of seashells and starting to formulate this community around yourself that allows you to not only feel like your idea is, you know, tangible and reasonable because there's other people doing it, but also people who will give you advice and support you if you have any questions. Okay. Okay. Interesting there. Okay. So I have a question here and this is, this is, this is more like an entrepreneur to an entrepreneur and, and are you able to turn it off? You know what I mean? Like that um, your mind is like a racehorse, right? It constantly, it's constantly running with ideas and things you can do. It's almost like, uh, and this is the reason why I asked you entrepreneurs born or entrepreneurs made is like, for instance, I was having a conversation with an acquaintance of mine where I have, you know, and I was like, Hey, you should start a business. And he's like, well, I don't have any ideas. And I asked him like, do you have anything running through your mind? Like anything? It's like, no, not necessarily. He's like, honestly, I just go home, I do my job, and then, you know, I go home, I spend time with my wife and my kids. And I was like, so then I thought to myself, and I was like, and then I asked other people, and I'm like, especially entrepreneurs who've been in for a while, I'm like, and they're like, well, it's almost as though it's like a, it's like a possession. It's almost like you don't, you don't have, like, once you get that idea or you want to start a project, you must solve the problem. Right. Like I'll, I'll give you, and before you answer the question, I'll give you this example, for instance. So we do marketing we do a lot of software and um, we were working with a uh, company. It was super easy to use their platform. And I was like, oh God, I learned how to use it in a few weeks. I was like, oh my God, this is boring now. Right. This is super boring. So then I was like, all right, let me build the entire software that they are using from scratch, completely from scratch. And I'm like, and my staff is like, why are you doing it? And I was like, because I'm bored. <laughs> and, and, and I started building it. And now I'm like, it's, it's to the point where I'm like, I, I built it and then I'm rebuilding it again because I realized I messed up somewhere and I have to start again from scratch. But for some reason, I like the fact that I'm looking forward to something in the, in the morning because I usually do a lot of my work. Uh, at like I'll usually be up at like midnight, anything from midnight to around 4 a.m. And the reason why I do that is because no one else is around, you know, everybody else is sleeping and I can do all my work at that time. 
And, um, you know, I work out, then I do my work and I was like, but for some reason I just want a problem to solve. Like without a problem to solve, it's just like a boring life. So I want to ask you, can you turn it off? Is it, is there a way to turn it off? So th that's two different questions. Can I turn it off? Fuck no. Can you turn <laughs> it off? Yes. Um, and I, it's funny because I I'm in the same way as you, right? I'm in this month period right now before I start my my job. I just graduated, so I'm I'm at home. I'm kind of just getting prepared, and I fucking hate it because I I seriously have nothing to do. I'm trying to give myself menial tasks. I got these lists I make all the time, yeah. Just to you know, just to make a haircut appointment seem more productive than it actually is, right? Um, but in terms of the the perception of entrepreneurs and being that type of person that's go 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 all the time. I think it's definitely glorified to an extent that it can be damaging, right? Where I totally believe it's good to be obsessed with your idea and to always want to be, you know, continuing it, adding to it, doing it. It is not sustainable to be the type of entrepreneur that is completely obsessed to the point that it damages their own, you know, relationships or mental well-being or whatever it is. And so that's easy to say. It's like, oh, just find that balance. That's kind of bullshit. It's like, of course, everyone wants to find balance. But the way in which that is achieved is very well summed up in a different guy I interviewed. Um, uh, his name's Andrew King. And he's told me, and I love this piece of advice, he said, take your hobbies seriously. And I love that quote because of the fact that a lot of times people, when they're really obsessed with whatever work life they have or whatever idea they're working on, they think that that should be priority number one all the time. And that anything that, you know, makes them happy or isn't necessarily productive is a, well, if I get to that or I have time for that, it'll be nice. You will never, ever give yourself that amount of time to go and enjoy and relax if you don't take it seriously. And so for me personally, uh, I'm a huge fisherman, huge outdoorsman. And that's one of the only times where when I'm doing that, I just don't think about anything else other than that. And so for me, it's about being very serious and allotting myself time to do those things, knowing that it probably won't add to any of the things I'm working on with my ideas or won't allow me to move up in my company a little bit more, won't get me ahead at all. But I know that the sustainability it gives to me, the improvement on my mental health, the improvement on you know how I'm feeling, that's just as critical important uh, and so therefore should be taken very, very seriously. Okay, so now I, I'm going to push back here, man, because this is an interesting uh, perspective. There is a camp that believes in sacrifice, right? Mm -hmm. There's that camp of people that's like, okay, you know, for the next three, four, five, six years, I'm not going to see my kids. For the next five, seven years, I'm not going to spend time with my wife and you know, my family. For the next this, I'm just going to focus on work. And what would you say to that camp? Because there is, there's two camps. There's, this, there's a People that believe in sacrifice, and then there's also the people that believe in balance. I'm like, hey, I'm going to work eight hours, and then, you know, and then I'm going to delegate some stuff, and I'm going to come home, and I'm going to, you know, do like a traditional work schedule. What about the camp that listens to this and say, hey, man, I, I don't agree with you as far as like, you know, this whole mentality of make time for your hobbies. I, I have resigned myself that for the next nine to 10 years, I'm going to give up drinking, partying, family, and all that stuff and just focus on work. What would you say to that camp? I'd say you're playing a pretty risky game, right? In the sense that if it ends up being, you know, eight, nine, 10 years down the line, and if it's something you're totally happy with and you love it and you made the company that, yeah, sure, fuck me. I'm sorry for telling you that that you shouldn't have done that in the first place. But A, I think that it's, it's you know, not as likely that those eight to 10 years, the time you spent solely working rather having fun 
was the reason that it was successful at the end of the day. I think that that is usually not the, the, the X factor of it. And I'd rather show up to my client meeting uh, having taken, you know, maybe three hours off of making sure the PowerPoint was perfect, perfect, and instead got three hours of sleep so that the presentation is me more cheerful and, and energized than, the, than being up there and being fucking all over the place. But the PowerPoint looks like it was, you know, made in Venice. So I think that you take a big risk on when you try to do that, you know, go, 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 head down, don't worry about anything. And I think that's where the manifestation of like the midlife crisis comes into play or that oh shit moment when you realize that, you know, maybe it didn't work out. And that's not to say that you shouldn't take risks or you shouldn't work hard to, to achieve your goals and your ideas, but make sure that you give yourself some human, you know, humanity out of it all, right? Make sure you still are a person at the end of the day because at the because that's how you stray away from being that stiff corporate asshole that all they can talk about is work and corporate because that's all they do on a day to day. You become less interesting of a person if you if you segment to yourself to one specific idea, one specific task task, and you want to be a dynamic person in order to succeed. So I have a question for you, right? Okay, let's say my hobby is playing video games. I'm like yeah. super whatever the games you know kids are kids are playing these days which is so funny i was on a flight the other the other day um and the flight attendant asked me because my bags were heavy i was i traveled on my recording equipment and she's like what you got in what do you got in there and i was like and she's like you got an xbox and i didn't hear the question properly and i was like yeah but i don't have an xbox right and then there was a guy in front of me and then he was like uh oh yeah man what do you play and i was like Oh shit! What do I? What do I? What do? What do I play? I was like, I was like, and now I'm like, okay, there's people around here, so I was like, you know what? Gears of War, and I'm like, is that even still a thing? Because I played that back in, <laughs> back in like I don't even know how old it was. But yeah, like I remember eight, that back in the day. Eight, yeah. eight, eight, nine years, and I was like, Gears of War, and like, dude, you're gonna come up with like something. But uh, what about if my hobby is work? That's my. What about that? Yeah, um, yeah, that's a that's a pretty. That's a pretty one that hits pretty close to home because I do have I do have people close to my life that that is their hobby. Right. And that is what they do. And I, I, they're just not fun to be around in the sense that, like, sure, that's your hobby to do work. Like, that's great. But what happens when you're when you're, your friends or your family are going out and, and doing anything non work related and you're like, yeah, no, I'll just stay home, and be at the desk because that'll make me happy. Uh, cause I, that's what I like to do for fun. But listen, none of the people, none of your friends, none of your family, no one around you wants to do your fucking work with you. Right. No one's going to yeah. be like, Hey, yeah, let's go over and, and, you know, work on that Excel sheet or chop it out together. Or even if I'm working on my own work, I'm not going to be like, Hey, let's go have a work date, you know, down at Starbucks. What? Like, that's just weird. You know, that, that that's just not right. And, and I think that once again, it just makes you a one dimensional individual and, you know, if you lose the things that make you happy by not doing them in so long, then, you know, you yourself won't be as hard pressed to want to get things done. Right. If you find a greater metering, greater meaning in life than what your work is on a day to day basis, then I think that that will give you, uh, you know, more leverage and more pull, you know, even athletes. Right. You know, like LeBron James, for example, like, you know. For him to be work, work, work all the time is great because it, get, he's gotten a lot of money from it. He's gotten a lot of championship rings, you know, you know, got a lot of uh, promotional stuff for him. But he also is a big wine connoisseur. He loves good wine. He makes time out of his out of his day at nights to to try a new flavor of wine or to go and learn a little bit more. And I think that that type of thing helps him disconnect from work 
And you have to sometimes turn it off in order to come back to it with a new perspective and a new uh, you know, aggression that would work out. We all know when we're trying to figure something out, whether it be you know a project or even you know trying to build an Ikea desk, for example, you just like, can't fucking figure out where that nail goes. And you walk away for it for like 30 minutes or an hour. When you come back, you're able to figure it out or you're able to look at it from a different perspective. So turning it off not only is good for you and your own well-being, but actually, in my opinion, will make the work that you're doing that higher of quality. Okay. Okay. Interesting. All right. So this is, there's something I, I, I do agree with you in a sense as to, you know, like when you're like when I'm out on the beach or, you know, uh, doing something fun, you know, it, it does kind of give you that, you know, it's weird when you're not thinking about the solution of to a problem is when the solution actually comes. Right. But I personally believe that there are two types of entrepreneurs, right? There are product entrepreneurs and there are people entrepreneurs. There's the Edison's and then there is the Tesla's. Right. Tesla was a product focused entrepreneur and Edison was a people focused entrepreneur. And, um, you know, for I, I just recently found out that uh, Hollywood, like the recording studio, used to actually be in New Jersey. Right. Back in before it actually moved to California. And uh, I had so no idea. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. And um, and the reason why it moved out of California was because of the rules that um, Edison was putting people put in the uh, uh, recording studios on there. And then everyone just like, oh, you know what? I can't handle this. Let's get out of here. But I think like there's two types of entrepreneurs because they're like, there's a reason why salespeople, right? Salespeople are also entrepreneurs, right? There's the, there's the salesperson and there's the founder. Like give an example. I had a, um, I had a podcast with uh, the CEO of Badger Maps and uh, the co-founder rather of Badger Maps. And um, we were having a discussion and he was like, well, I am more people focused and my founder is more a product focused, right? He's more of the tech guy. You need the yin and yang, right? Because if you're like, for instance, in my company, I have the heads of op head of operation and I have me. Like I, I do not like the operation pack fact of, I mean, a lot of, and here's, here's the interesting part. A lot of my clients watch this podcast and, and sorry guys, there's a reason why you and I have not had a meeting. It's not because like I'm a terrible person. It's just because it's like the operations of the company, I, I build it and I'm like, Hey, run it. All right. And then she runs it. And I was like, Oh, Hey, we know this, this guy. And then I'm more of in the marketing side of things. I like getting people in. And then once they get in they're like, Hey, you know, she runs it. And we have, I have make sure I hire phenomenal staff for this because like the operations is a nightmare. Like, you know, like I'm looking at spreadsheets of financial numbers. I'm like, okay, this is payroll. This is how much you have to pay. This is how much you owe to our vendors. This is how much it is. This is how much is marketing. And it almost honestly stresses me out. Right. But then it's like, Hey, yeah. Emmanuel, come on, let's do a podcast. Let's do this. Hey, you know what? Let's build a software for this. Hey, okay, perfect. I'll do that. But if it's like, you know, so I think there's like two different types of entrepreneurs there and, and just to kind of like, you know, segue into that. But this kind of just brings me to this question here. What we're having right now is, what would I say, is a podcast, a talk, some might even call it a debate, right? And I know you have a very interesting debate career. So if you want to go ahead and expand on that. Yeah. So uh, my debate career is something that I didn't ever expect it to be a career in the first place. I never did like model UN or mock trial or any of that stuff in high school. Um, but when I was a first year student at college, I heard that our institution had a really profound and well-accredited debate program. And as a first-year student, I was a little like angsty being like, I, you know, I, I want to prove myself. I want to show blah, blah, blah. And I also thought my mom would be happy if I told her I went to a debate practice. And uh, so I walked and I, I went to the first you know, practice ever. And they basically told me, they're like, all right, I'm going to give you a really simple you know, debate topic. And you got to stand up there and just try to speak for five minutes uh, arguing for and against it. I was like, all right, like, I think I can do this. 
And I remember I prepped my speech in the bathroom of the the house that we were in, like on the actual toilet seat, like writing my little like notes for my speech. And I sit, uh, stood up there and I spoke for the whole five minutes. And it was one of the most invigorating moments of my life where I was like, holy shit, A, everyone has to listen to me right now, which is great. And B, like, I feel like my mind is working in ways as if like I was writing a paper, you know, arguing something, but I actually get to vocally represent it. And from that point on, I just became obsessed with the art of debate in of itself. It is its own sport, I can argue in a way, because of the different strategies you can do, uh, the different positions and how that dictates how you're supposed to speak. And so it was this really multifaceted, you know, hobby that I got into. And it led me to uh, the national championships when I was a uh, sophomore. And then most recently in January, I went to the world championships in Madrid. Uh, competing against, you know, the Oxfords, the Harvards, the Yales, institutions from uh, Asia and Africa, all over the world, debating topics that ranged from, you know, like Asian economic policy to, you know, climate change uh, actions to even like, you know, uh, more philosophical debates about like if God's real or not, for example. And so it was crucial for me to learn about a little bit of everything but also to just understand that argumentation and debate as a whole has some core values and structures that you need to take and can be used for whatever topic you're trying to debate you know and so getting that not only made like getting into that not only made me a better public speaker and you know better at you know composing and thinking quickly and creating ideas fast but my essays got better the the way in which i was able to articulate my ideas was cleaner and it really just enveloped a lot of different uh, skills of mine and made them made them more powerful. So I'm super thankful that I, I did it. And I think it was one of the, the best, you know, accidents that happened to me in college. Oh, I love it, man. So uh, did you now you seem like a more of an outspoken, you know, outgoing person right now? I, I'm just kind of curious here. Were you a little bit shy when you were up on stage? Like nervous? No, I'm a stage guy for sure. I, I, yeah. I, I'm definitely one who likes the pressure. And uh, whenever I had more eyes on me, I felt like I executed cleaner. Got you. Okay. Okay. So, so the fact that you can, you can garner attention. Okay. Now, you know, talking about garner attention, if I'm watching this right now and I'm like, hey, you know what? I love listening to what Matt has to talk about. And I, you know, I like the, the vibrant energy. Where can people find you? Oh, come on. Now you're plugging me. This is what I like. Uh, but, but yes, so, I mean, I obviously start foremost is I, I definitely encourage you guys to go and check out our podcast. Um, I, it's hosted by me and my producers, actually my old, uh, housemate in college, great friend of mine. Um, and so it's called entrepreneurial endeavors. Uh, it's a little tricky to spell, but the, the logo is like an acorn with some headphones on it. And, uh, it's on every major streaming platform, your Spotify, your Apple, your Amazon. So you can check it out there. And then me personally, if you want to reach out to me, uh, the best way is probably through Instagram direct messages, which is uh, my name, M-A-T-T-N-U-S-O-M. So that's Matt Newsom. And then my LinkedIn as well, I check pretty often. So, uh, and that's just Matthew Newsom as well. So that's where you can reach out to me. And I'm always happy to, to talk to anyone really uh, about any sort of, whether it be career development, whether it be, you know, interviewing, networking, podcasting, uh, or just, uh, you know, get in get in contact with so feel free to reach out 
Gotcha, man. I, I love it, man. I love it. So definitely, guys, go ahead and uh, reach out to him on Instagram, reach out to him on LinkedIn, send him the thirsty DMs on Instagram as well. Um, <laughs> but um, so like, what's your goal for the podcast? You know, five to 10 years, what's your five to 10 year goal with the podcast? Awesome. So this is exciting. I'm glad you brought this up. Because as you know, I and my me and my producer just graduated. And um, mm -hmm. so we're kind of like, okay, we don't really have a school backing anymore. Should we just kill it? Should we just stop it? and right off into the sunset. And that was kind of where we were leaning to. But then we had an alumni who's actually the same alumni that uh, did the $10,000 for the pitch project. He's now invested in this company called Proto, which is a hologram company. I encourage you to look that up. Uh, it's a, it's a full scale like hologram machine that they've made. I interviewed him through a hologram, uh, which you can see on my Instagram. It was unbelievable. But he has been a big fan. He's in Hollywood, so he's a media guy. He's loved the podcast since day one. Uh, and so he's like, hey, listen, we would love to uh, sponsor this and, and make this happen and you know, maybe change the branding, change the image, but keep the essence of the podcast the same, uh, fully backed, fully funded. And so that's going to be potentially starting in, or it is going to start in 2024. We have a little cache of episodes that we still have on the back burner, which we'll be releasing periodically uh, to, you know, up until 2024. We actually just released an episode yesterday featuring uh, a, a big producer on the Weather Channel, um, super dynamic guy, has a lot of great stories, uh, but that's the goal for us. And so the nice thing is, is this guy has a lot of great connections in Hollywood. I love it, man. And, and definitely, definitely congratulations ahead of time, because I believe in the next five to 10 years, your name is going to be a, uh, you know, you already knew some, I mean, that is another the name of the governor of California. Yeah, different spelling, yeah. though, different spelling. So I, I got the unique th trait there. <laughs> uh, gotcha, gotcha. He doesn't, have yeah, the, he doesn't have the sexy red hair either. So, you know, yeah, yeah. I you, definitely you, you hear that, Yusuf? You hear that, man? You don't have the sexy red hair that Matt does. Okay? Yeah. So, you know, he, you need to step down so he can be governor of California <laughs> so he can fix that. That uh, I'm not going to get into it. But um, yeah, 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 man. So I think I think you're going to do a great, great, do a lot of things in the podcast space, man. And absolutely, it was a pleasure having you on. And uh, anything else you want to say to, you know, any last words for the Oh, oh, I forgot to ever do this. Did I, did I even? Oh, I didn't even make them. I usually have a list of dumb, fun questions that I ask, but I oh, think yeah. I already asked. I, I think I, uh, I already asked the uh, uh, majority of the questions here for the most part, which is I'm like, man, I didn't, I didn't put the, note, I didn't <laughs> put the note, notes in here. But um, yeah, man, so it's a pleasure having you on, man. Anything else? Anything you want to say to the guests? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the last thing is to to like i said take your hobby seriously and take advantage of every opportunity that comes your way like uh, this podcast is a great example emmanuel just sent me an email and i read it and i was like huh you know i could have let that slide past and not thought about it but i'm so glad that i did it i'm so glad that i took advantage of that opportunity and uh it's just an example of, of making sure that you you know take advantage of yourself and your life and the things you want to accomplish so yeah, that's what I would say. I think, I, oh yeah, I just remembered one question I was going to ask. So if you were to use a pickup line to get a client for a business, what pickup line would yeah. it be? Hmm. I mean, it would depend on what the business is, but, uh, hmm. Hmm. That's a great question. I would go up to them. I'd be like, If you all right, give me three minutes and it will be the best three minutes you've ever spent listening to someone in your life. 
Give me three minutes and it'll be the best. I, I thought you were going somewhere with that. I was like, maybe I'll have to adjust that. It's a, it's oh, a double I, pickup line. Double pickup it, it, line. It's a, <laughs> I love it. No, 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 no. That's, that's, that's definitely, that's, that's. <laughs> Oh, it gets their attention uh, for sure, I bet. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I mean, it definitely, definitely depends on who you're talking to. But <laughs> my positive, negative. <laughs> but yeah, man, absolutely, Matthew. It was an absolute pleasure having you on, man. And uh, definitely best of luck to you. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you having me on. And uh, I'm excited to see the final product here. Perfect.